to the Providence Church Podcast. In the last episode, Pastor Dwight established what the light is. This week, Pastor Chuck continues our examination of light via a message about walking in the light by being truthful about our sins. You know, we, we open the, the Bible in, in uh, Genesis and it starts off, there was darkness over the face of the earth. It was darkness, it was void, it was, it was, there was no life. And then uh, God breathed, he spoke life into it, the word, right? Um, Pastor Dwight talked about this last week. Uh, we, we, in the, we, we call it ex nihilo. He spoke it, he, he uh, out of nothing. Uh, fiat is what we say. He, he um, declared light and life. And then unfortunately it didn't take long and sin entered the world and since then, We've been fumbling around in the darkness, but then the great news that we want to shout on the mountains is that Jesus Christ was born. There's a light that came in to the world, light, pure light, that has shined on each of us. And so um, it's a wonderful thing as we uh, consider these things during this Christmas season. I was thinking about darkness. Darkness can be such a pain, right? Even this morning when I, I got here to work this morning and it was dark out still and I, I'm fumbling with my keys and I'm trying to see which is the bigger one. And, and it's not easy, uh, especially when you're my age and I didn't have my glasses on. <clears throat> if you've ever tried to read instructions, uh, on whether well, cooking, that's a, you know, you, you get the, the package out and it's like, what? And I don't have my glasses on and I'm trying to read it. So I go over to the light and I get right under the light, right? And I try to, to read it. It can be a pain without enough light. Um, those of us who've raised kids, we know what it's like um, to walk into their room when it's dark. And, you know, they have these uh, memes uh, Lego in the daytime, looks like a nice little thing. Lego at night has like razor blades on it, right? If you've ever stepped on one in, in the dark, it's, it's, it's not a fun thing. But sometimes we want to be in the dark. Um, one of my grandchildren recently was at the house, and she got into her mom's makeup bag, and she pulled out kind of, they've got this makeup that you can't wash it off. That's so you can go swimming and all that stuff. So she got a hold of one of these things. And in our master bedroom, or whatever you call it, the room, we, um, uh, she, she wrote right on the walls, right? <laughs> in the wood, and you can't get it off. We're going to have to repaint it, right? I, I happen to like it. But what's actually interesting is that... Um, She's only uh, four years old, little thing. And she, after she was all done, she took the makeup bag and went over to the end of her bed. We have a, it's like a, uh, a chest. It's in, uh, opened it up and we store blankets and stuff like that, extra things. If it gets cold at night, we'll pull them up. And she hid the makeup bag. And <laughs> she knew she was doing wrong when she wrote on the wall. And she's just like her mother, right? <laughs> Um, I won't say which one of my daughters, but when Kimmy was about the same age, she wrote all over the walls. What? And did she come forth and tell us? No, she tried to hide it. 
And I remember telling her, I said, baby, did you do this? And she was five and maybe four, four or five, about the same age. And she's like, oh, no, daddy, I didn't do that. And she's looking right at me like sweet as pie, lying right to my face. And I actually believed her. So I thought it has to be Kate, right? So I went over to Kate and uh, she says, dad, I didn't do it. And um, so I thought, I'm going to figure this out. So I said, Kimmy, can you draw me a picture of our family? Oh, sure. And she draws the first figure, and it's it right there. So I take the picture, and I hold it up to the wall. I'm like, you see that right there? She was caught, and she knew it. She kind of came clean. But the bottom line is we try to hide things sometimes. Little kids, we don't grow out of it. We just get better at it. All right? Um, The bottom line, though, is darkness equals death. And light equals life. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John. This is where our passage is going to be today, 1 John. Very first chapter. If I can find it here. Getting there. Almost. There we go. Starting in the fifth verse, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Second chapter, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What an amazing thing. Amazing thing. This is a great passage. It's a Christmas passage because he is light. So the first thing we want to determine, it's the first point on your your bulletin there, is um, what does it even mean? that God is light. When the Bible speaks of God being light, what it is saying is that he is all goodness and all knowing. All goodness and all knowing. When we, we, we understand this, like when we say we need more information about something, right? Well, we need some more, we need some light. We need some more light on this so we can make a proper decision. We'll often say it that way. God is not 
in need of any knowing. He is pure light, pure knowing. Likewise, when we make a mistake or we do something wrong, right, um, and it's revealed, we'll often say about somebody, uh, his deeds were brought into the light. They've been exposed. So when the Bible speaks of God being light, what it is saying is that he is all-knowing in all goodness. The terms that we use for these attributes is he's omniscient and omnibenevolent. Omni, all, omniscient, all-knowing. He knows everything. And he's all-goodness. It isn't just that God knows things or that he knows more than any of us. He's not the smartest of us. He is the essence of knowledge. There is nothing that he does not know. It's impossible. He knows absolutely everything, including the number of hairs on your head, the Bible tells us. Minor little details. There isn't anything. A sparrow falls to the ground. We had a few fall to the ground at our house, thanks to my son and his shooting ability with a little pellet gun. They were trying to get into the bluebird house, and even the, blue, the, the, the bluebird people say, kill the sparrows. <laughs> kill them, because <laughs> they'll wipe them all out. So my son was all too eager to do that. He knows everything. Everything about you. Everything about me. Everything about everything. There is nothing hidden from God. He is the very essence of goodness. He doesn't just act good. He doesn't try to be good. He doesn't one day wake up and say, you know what, I'm tired of being good. He is the very essence of goodness. Everything about God is good. And that is part of our problem. The fact of the matter is we can't say that about ourselves. The best of us can't say we're good enough to be in God's presence. And we don't know everything. That realization begins to fall on us somewhere around 25 years old, right? When you, what did Mark Twain say? By the time you hit 25, you realize just how much his dad learned between the age of 15 and 25, right? We develop this realization, this humility, but you talk to like a 15 to 20-year-old young man in particular, he knows everything. Can't teach him anything. Generalities, right? You know, the Bible tells us that God... Paul writes this, he alone has immortality. He's never going to die. He has, he has life. Life and light, are, you know, John tells us in his gospel, they're together, they're one thing. God is life and light, and that means forever, before and after, and we can't get our heads around that. He, is, he, he dwells, Paul tells us, in unpro unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see God in his full, glorious, 
uh, being. We cannot see him. We can't be in his presence. And the Bible tells us that over and over. And we know it. We don't even like to be around really good people sometimes, let alone God. We are darkness. You know, I was thinking even about Jesus in his glorified state. John's with him, right? The first thing that happens when he runs into Jesus, you know, in this vision is he drops dead. You know, and it just seems to happen this way. We can't be around God in his holiness. So when we speak of God being light, what we're talking about is he knows everything, his omniscience and his holiness, his goodness. So if you look at verse 5, though, it says that in him is no darkness at all. So what is darkness? We can take the corollary to that. Darkness, then, is evil, right? And we know this because we have other passages in the Bible. You can turn with it. I'm going to kind of breeze through this um, so I can get through my notes here. But um, 2 Corinthians 6 14 through 15, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? In what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? We often use this passage in counseling people getting married. If you're a believer, you need to marry another believer. And it's great counsel. It's right there in the Word. Because what fellowship... What unity can there believe be, uh, be between those? But what we see is he uses this, what fellowship has light with darkness? So darkness is the opposite of light. Light is good. Light is life. Death and darkness are one thing. There is no darkness. There is no death. There is nothing of a negative aspect in God. There is no darkness in him at all. And that's why verse 6 tells us that we are lying if we think that we can live in sin and then still have fellowship with God. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm following God and I'm doing things that are the exact opposite. I'm not talking about battling. I'm not talking about struggle. We do that, don't we? And God wants us to. I'm talking about living in defiance to what God says. And when we do that, we do not have fellowship with God. We're kidding ourselves. And so he's given us this information. He's telling us this because in verse 2, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. That's why I'm doing this. That's what this message is. This message is so that you'll quit sinning, that I'll quit sinning. Right? And he's going to give us some ways, some things that we can do. It's amazing. But why do we, uh, so walking in darkness, so we have walking in light. So what would walking in darkness be? Walking in darkness would be hiding the evil. And that's what we do. Just like my little granddaughter, just like my daughter, wanting to hide things. We hide. Where, do we, where does this come from? It comes, goes all the way back to the garden. They sinned. And what was the first thing they did? They hid. So God comes walking along in the garden. Hey, where are you? As though 
He didn't know where they were. It's rhetorical. Where are you? Song when I was a kid growing, you know, just came into Christ. A, a song by Don Francisco. It's a song, Adam. And he sings it and he does a great job. And, and you get the passion of God. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? The Bible's full of this image, this picture. In 2 Kings, uh, God says, The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord their God. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And then he said unto me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Each in his room of pictures? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us? And who knows us? And God says, I see everything they do. They cannot hide from me the things they do. Their sin is not hidden from my eyes. We have to come to grips with this, people. This is what we are here for. This is a good thing. The hiding is a bad thing. The good thing is God sees it. But why do we do it? We're ashamed. I don't want you to know all the things that I've done. I get it. We're embarrassed, and we should be. But God already knows. He's not going to be like, what? what? You did what? As though it's some new thing. Oh boy, you're really a weirdo. No. It's all exposed. He knows it. You don't have to tell everyone else about it. In fact, I'd encourage you not to. I hope you have those people in your life that you can tell those things. But God's not looking to embarrass us. That's not his aim. That's not his goal. You know, another reason why we hide is we've convinced ourselves that it really isn't that bad anyway. It's not a big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a victimless crime. We, we tell ourselves that. It's a lie. In fact, he talks about that. We deceive ourselves, he tells us. Is that verse 6? And another reason is that there's pressure from the world. You know, we, we studied this in the men's Bible study this past week. For the time, this is First Peter, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That's the world. It's past the time that we do what the, the world does, living in sensuality, 
passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't enter in. That's what he says. When you don't join with them in the same flood of debauchery. And then they malign you. There's pressure. We feel weird. Just try to do the right thing. We've seen it happen. Tim Tebow, he's going to wait till he gets married to have sex. They make fun of him. I mean, really make fun of him. You listen to the sports radio. You're like a weirdo if you don't do these things that the Word of God says, no. The world says you're just weird. And they're surprised. It's right here in God's Word. And there's another reason why, is we're rebels. We want to keep on doing the bad things. I want to insert here that walking in the light is not walking sinless. That's not what he's talking about. Walking in the light is not not making any more mistakes. Oh, I sinned, now I'm not in the light. Walking in the light is having it exposed. Walking in the light involves telling the truth about our sins. We bring our sins out into the open. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If walking in the light meant not sinning, what would be the point of him telling us that he, forgive, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness? He'll forgive us of our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that's what it meant, we're not disqualified by our sins. We are when we bring them out in the open and we confess them. He will forgive you most of them, he says here, right? Some of the bad ones not. No, that's not what he says. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin that rises above Calvary's love. Remember the song? And then there is no sin way down here. Uh, the depth of the cross goes right down to the lowest, weirdest, shameful thing. Hallelujah. It means our past sins our current battles, our current sins, and any future sins that may come along. All, all, all. For you, for me. This is great news. This is Christmas present. But just in case uh, we're not convinced, we say, oh, I don't have any sins to confess. We got verse 8, if we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. There isn't one of us in here that can say, hey, I don't really need this today. There isn't one of us. And if you think that, if I happen to think that, I'm kidding myself. I'm deceiving myself. I'm not telling the truth. And the truth is not in us. It's easy to lie to ourselves. It's part of our nature. The Bible, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. That's for us too, you know. O other than Christ, outside of Christ, we, and in his nature, there is no truth in him. That's what he says. 
There's no truth. There's, we, so we have that part of our nature too, that fallen peace prior to Christ. We come into Christ, it's an all new game, but we, have, we still have this dichotomy, the, war, the flesh and the spirit, and this battle is ongoing. So let's not deceive ourselves. But then even worse than that, than the self-deception, as bad as that is, when we say that we don't have any sin, verse 10 tells us, we make God a liar. We're calling him a liar. He says, and his word is not in you. Well, that's how we know that what God has to say about things. We find it right here in his word. He says, thou shalt not do this. And we say, yeah, yeah, it really doesn't matter. Or, or I, I'm not doing that. That's not a sin. It's really not a sin. That used to be a sin. We've evolved out of that. We've grown. We make him a liar. And the word is not in us, verse 10. We have to agree with God's verdict, people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let God be true and everyone else found a liar, not God. So when we, when we agree with God, we say it out loud. We confess out loud. For me, I started with that passage there I read earlier, Peter. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, partying, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. That's a great place to start, right? But confessing our sins, point number five, is, is, is more than just a cathartic exercise. Confessing our sins actually changes us. We acknowledge the truth about our sins. When we see them not as mistakes, and I hate when we sing that sometimes, uh, uh, God cleanse my mistakes. They're not like a little error. It's defiance when we sin. We're in rebellion. But when we... When we believe, when we acknowledge the truth, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Acknowledging the truth and saying, I'm going to go with your verdict, God, and not mine, we're on the road to freedom. Oswald Chambers said, if Jesus Christ is going to regenerate me, what is the problem he faces? It's simply this. I have a heredity, that's that Adamic spirit, in which I had no say or decision. I am not holy, nor I am likely to be. And if all Jesus can do is tell me that I must be holy, his teaching only causes me despair. But if Jesus is truly a regenerator, someone who can put his own heredity and holiness into me, then I can begin to see what he means, that I have to be holy. His teaching is meant to apply to the life in which he puts his spirit in us. The proper action on my part is simply to agree with God's verdict on sin as judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. We agree. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he is faithful and righteous to forgive us all. And his righteousness then is imputed to us. Look at verse uh, two, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. He's writing so that we, uh, if anyone does sin, he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And, and so we call this uh, 
is imputed righteousness. This is what's happened. When he says we have an advocate, what does that mean? God actually looks at Jesus. He takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it right in you. That's what he's doing. His righteousness, just like Adam and Eve, the fifth chapter of Romans talks about this. Adam's sin was imputed to us. So we had that by nature. Now Jesus, how much more shall Jesus, his righteousness, make us alive unto God? He puts his righteousness in us. That's where we hang our hat. That's why we can have fellowship with God, with God himself. And when he uses this word propitiation. What does that even mean? So back, if you've studied any kind of ancient history, what would they do? They, oh, we have to sacrifice to the sun god because the sun god's mad at us or the rain god is mad at us. And so we're gonna, what do we do? We'll sacrifice something to make them. And so they propitiated. Now the god's not mad anymore, basically is what it is. Jesus didn't just propitiate for us. He didn't find a way. He was the propitiation. That's an important distinction. He himself stood in our place and appeased the judgment of God. And that's right down on you. That's right down on me. And then God takes it and imputes it right to us, gives it to us, puts it right over us. What an amazing Christmas present, right? He was the propitiation because he was perfect. Verse 1 says, righteous. No sins, clean. It brings us back to that point where we, uh, last time I preached, we read there in Revelation where John wept bitterly, loudly, because there was no one worthy in heaven and under the earth, anywhere. And then the Lamb comes through, hallelujah. And we receive that. And because of that, we now, verse 6, have fellowship with God. What? Fellowship with God? I don't know. Yeah, that was what Paul wanted, Philippians 3. He didn't want a righteousness of his own coming from the law, did nothing, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him. And that is that when he says knowing, this is that conjugal thing that that a man knows his wife. This is an intimate on the highest level. And as good as that is, and amazing as that is, this is way more. He wants to know you. He wants to know me, and that's a wonderful thing. But in case that gets flaky, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. And we know that. And it is a wonderful thing when the brethren, the, the, the men and women of God get together in his unity and we're pushing in the same direction. We're loving on each other. There's a camaraderie. And you know, and some of it is just knowing what each of us have gone through. We've all had to confess our sins and we know what that's like. It's a painful process. Those of us who played football, I played only through high school, but I still got on the film and it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't good. You know, they say the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And there you are in all your glory, messing up. 
And I remember talking to this, and, and someone asked me, well, was everyone laughing at you when that happened? Someone asked me, no one's laughing at me. They know they're next. There's no laughing. It felt for you. You felt for that guy. The gathering, this is called the church. We're not in a church. We're in a church building. The church is you. The church is me. It's the gathering. It's the fellowship of believers, the ecclesia. It's the gathering. And when we, we come together, one sheds a tear. When one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of a community. And the enemy hates it, and he's trying to drive us away from church. Ah, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to go. You know, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And all the stupidness that comes in with that. And then we have each other. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. That happens in community. We're not afraid to tell somebody, hey, that's not good. What are you doing? I've had people say that to me before. And it feels really good when that happens, right? No. It hurts. It's a hard thing. And the first reaction is to deny it. That's not true. And then you go home and you think about it. You know what? It's really true. I feel really bad about that. Thank you, God, for showing me that. He uses people to do that. Why doesn't he just do it himself? I don't know. Seems like it would be better. But he in his sovereign will, in his sovereign way, will use another man or woman clothed in flesh, just like yourself, to point out stuff about you that you need to hear. That happens in the community. I feel like Jeremy right now, trying to convince people to go to the, um, the, the retreat so they can catch a cold, right? <laughs> and then we have the love Love of the brethren. Wow, what an amazing thing to be accepted and loved. That happens here in the body. That's fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus, when we walk in this light, when we allow him to expose those sins in our lives, we have fellowship with one another. We have it with God. We have it with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing thing. And the last point here is um, that we have access to light. is a wonderful gift from God to his children. Here is the culmination. I'm going to read it real quickly. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel. That's the Christian message, right? This is Emmanuel. God is with us. Behold, there's going to come a time where God is actually physically dwelling with us and be able to see him. Thank you for listening to our latest sermon. Join us throughout December as we study light and the role it plays in the gospel and the Christmas story. In the meantime, connect with us online. Visit our website at www.provchurch.net or check out our Facebook at Prov Church Life. Until next time.